I want to say for the record that patriarchy hurts everyone, <laughs> including men. I love men. It's not against any one particular man, but there are some things in this culture that need to be examined and done away with. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbout. I am so happy to be here recording this intro with you in my closet. I love doing this podcast so much. I'm so grateful that I get to do it. It's not lost on me. And I'm actually really happy to be talking to you right now. So thank you so much for listening. This week on the show, Andrea Owen. You'll hear this go down. But basically, I have loved her since I was 22 and I would listen to her podcast that she co-hosted with her best friend who's still her best friend and I wished that she was my uh, older sister (laughs) and in this just you'll hear but basically I'll say this dreams come true (laughs) Andrea is someone I've admired for a long time this is her third appearance on this podcast if you want to hear more about her go back to previous episodes. She's written many, many books. She has been translated into 18 languages and her books are available in 22 countries. She's an author, obviously, a life coach, a speaker, and she helps women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience, as it says on her website. She has a new book out called Make Some Noise and we talk about that, her process. We talk about writing. We talk about connection, relationships, friendship. What she said about friendship hit me so hard that I sat and transcribed it just for myself to have it in my phone to read. And I ended up posting it on an Instagram caption on Let It Out's Instagram. If you don't follow Let It Out on Instagram, feel free. It's just me. It's another one of my accounts. Um, But I, you know, kind of post strange things there that inspire me or I'm too bashful to post on my account. And and I post about the podcast there. I'm very behind, to be honest with you. But quotes like this, that, that really struck me. So it's let it out with three T's on Instagram. It would be cool if you listen to the podcast and are a person who uses Instagram.com if you followed it. You can also follow me at Katie Dalebout. You know, I share what I'm doing and my friends and dogs I'm babysitting on there and what I'm eating sometimes, but I'm not, you know, an influencer at all. But it would be cool to connect if you want to. (laughs) I love you. I'm so grateful that you're here. Get a hard copy of Andrea's book because, or any of her books, honestly, but this one in particular, we really get into it. There's a shift in her work that happened, you know, with relation to a lot of the work that we've all been doing on ourselves to become better citizens of the world and be of service and help each other and help ourselves. And I am just so grateful to Andrea that I've gone to keep in touch with her for nearly a decade. And, you know, you'll hear us gush about our gratitude (laughs) for each other in this episode, but 
We really do cover a lot and I didn't even scratch the surface. It was one of those interviews that I didn't really look at my notes very much and I didn't ask her a lot of the questions that I planned on. And so I know she will be back and I'll probably go back on her podcast too. I've been on her podcast and you can go back and listen to that. It was around the time my book came out. And if you're new here, I wrote a book about journaling that we kind of allude to because she was doing a lot of somatic healing and, and we talk a little bit about writing. And anyway, I love her. I love you. I'm so grateful you're here. If you want to connect with me more, feel free. We're also doing a free summer session. It starts this week. If you're listening to this, the day it comes out every single week in August, 2021, we are doing a free workshop once a week leading up to our next session of Creative Underdogs, which is a workshop for people wanting to live a creative life and have more self-care and connection and friendship around them. It's not really about making a creative project. Therefore, I'm renaming it to be called In Process because the truth is we are always constantly growing and learning and changing and getting better at being ourselves. So this group is called In Process of doing that. And if you want to check it out for free, join these workshops. There's one every single week. This week's workshop is Ayurveda and Creativity, taught by members, taught by Eva. And then next week, we have a dance workshop. We have a yoga and journaling workshop taught by Marcy. And then we have a energy management workshop that I'm really excited about taught by Cody. And then we'll get started with uh, in-process semester, fall semester, if you want to join us, if you want to know what that is even. There's info on our website and my friend Caro made a little video about it. We go through, you know, my stages of being in process. So I think first you need to create space and then the next step is gather. So taking things in, inspiration, etc., and then trying things like throwing a bunch of things at the wall, seeing what sticks. It's messy, it's intense and it's elusive and then sharing you know, putting it out there and seeing what people think, whether it's a friend or someone in the group or more publicly would love to have you. And all the information about all of those things will be in the show notes. Enjoy my conversation with Andrea Owen. Andrea and I have been talking a little bit before we started recording and I have been so excited for this interview for, for, Weeks for your entire months, life, basically. for my entire life. <laughs> this is your third appearance on Let It Out. Did you know that? Yes, because I've talked about all three. This will be my my third book. Yeah, yeah. And I, you're one of my favorite people. And the more I, you know, someone from your team reached out and was like, Andrea has a new book. Like, would you have your on your podcast? And I was like, Yeah, of course. Like, you know, she's the best. But I hadn't, you know, tuned into your work for a second and preparing for this podcast. It was just so lovely. I'm I'm so grateful for you. Like I connect with you so much. Like I almost forgot how much I relate to you and connect with you. And we have we have similar ways of articulating things and the way that you articulate things just goes right in for me. And you've been such a inspiration. It's so cheesy, but and I through your work and through knowing you. And you know, I just I'll never forget, like even like on social media, like at the beginning, like I I first discovered you, you know, in maybe 2012 when you and your best friend, Amy, on Mm -hmm. your podcast and that you had together. And that 
was just so, I remember, you know, I was 22 and you were like these, I'm an oh only gosh. child and yeah. <laughs> you were these, these, you know, older sisters to me that I learned so much from and just how your cadence and the way you spoke and how articulate you were. And I'm just so grateful that you're here and congrats on the new book. And I'm, I'm really excited to catch up with you. Oh, I'm I'm just ditto to everything that you said. And I think I told you the last time I was on your show that if you are taking applications for big sisters, like I'm happy to adopt you. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> I don't have a little sister. Did. So <laughs> please. Okay. It's I am there. There's no application process. It's just you. This is like a dream come true. Cause I always want, like when I was a child, I, you know, I have a lot of we don't have to get into all my trauma, but there's a lot of like feeling left out and blah, blah, blah. And all the older, I was the only, only child that I knew. I was the only person with divorced parents at my Catholic school. And everybody had an older sister that like taught them what to wear and like did their mm-hmm. hair and all the things. And I was like, you know, such an ugly duckling and always wanted a big sister. So I've had that's like carried through my life. And like really in this podcast, you can hear it because I was interviewing all of my mentors and people I idolized, including you. And so you are, it is done. You it's, it's, we are family. (laughs) Okay. We'll settle it later. I'll send over the papers. Great. Um, Okay. Well, let, I don't even know where to begin, but I guess how's your day been so far? What's been coming up for you? Let's start in the like very present. What have you been learning or processing very recently, like in the last day or week? Oh, good question. So I have to have a hard conversation with someone and I don't want to do it. (laughs) I have to do my own work. Confrontation. You know that. Well, and that's so interesting that you say that word. Like, I think that conflict and confrontation are the words that we throw out there when we are nervous to have a hard conversation. And I hear a lot from women in my circles or my clients, and they say, I I don't want to have this conversation. I I can't approach, you know, my partner, my boss, or whomever about this because I just, I just hate conflict. My response to that always is. Nobody likes conflict, literally no one. And if they do, they're an asshole and you should (laughs) not be around them. If like, if like hobbies include confrontation and conflict, no, it's a hard conversation is what it is. And I feel like it might seem like a small thing, but that reframe can really change things. And the fact that what we make up could happen rarely if ever does. And I don't know where I heard this and I don't even know how true it is. Don't quote me on this, but I heard that hard conversations are typically anywhere from three to 15 minutes, but we make them out to be a lot worse than that. So totally, but I still don't want to have this conversation. It's with somebody at my daughter's school. I don't Mm. like how they're handling pandemic. And anyway, I just, yikes. Okay. (laughs) I hope it goes well. It might not, but the thing is, is like, that I can't control that. Yeah. All I can control is that I'm showing up and I am using my voice and telling them how I feel. And I know I'm not the only parent who feels this way. I might just be the only parent who says anything. And it's yeah. one thing I've learned as I've gotten older and more mature is that like my impulse is to be just impulsive and I can be emotional and I have knee-jerk reactions. Like I want to come out swinging. And that never Zero times has that ever worked out for me. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. And I, I know that if I am well thought out and if I come from a place of kindness and grace and and just thoughtfulness and many times compassion, because that's all everybody just wants to be heard, right? Like I want to be heard. You want to be heard. And so if I make space for that, but also get my point across, that's all I have control over. And that's what I want to be proud of. 
Mm, Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really great to hear real life examples of doing the work and what that's looking like in your life today. And I want to underline and highlight the part that you said about it's like kind of a rip off the bandaid thing. It's the, I, I have this second podcast now about anxiety and Serena and I, my co-host, we call it preemptive anxiety, right? Like the pre-anxiety of what the conversation is worse than the actual conversation, you know? And that spiral, it's like, you know, you'd want to just rip off the bandaid. And that's, I'm jumping around a little bit in my notes, but that's something I wrote down in big letters to talk to you about decision-making because Mm -hmm. that is something that my anxiety really manifests in decision-making. And often it's a little bit different from what you're talking about here, but I vacillate with just the decisions going back and forth. And then it's really, it's almost OCD-like where I will make a decision, reverse the decision, make the decision again, talk to everyone about the decision in this really strange way that is such such a distraction from being Mm -hmm. present and an addiction, it feels very similar to like ED, eating disorder thoughts or, you know, addictive thoughts and intrusive thoughts for sure. And it's something that, you know, I'm constantly talking about in therapy, but it reminded me of what you said about the, the conversation itself being so brief, but the thoughts about it lasting so long. And when I'm in a indecision spiral, like I had a similar situation yesterday, that's kind of the opposite of what you're saying, where I wanted to text this person I have a crush on, <laughs> but I couldn't decide. I'm like, oh my God, but my friend said this thing and this dating podcast said this. And then I'm like, and so then I spent the entire morning in this, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to like be myself and it's an integrity for me to do this. And I did it and I instantly felt relief yeah. and it was fine. And I think it's that in between that unknowing, that like deciding or the thinking about it happening, that is just where the uncomfortable part is. Mm-hmm. Talk about that and, and any thoughts you have or things mm-hmm. that have helped you or your clients with decision-making. Yes, I have lots. Please, great. <laughs> Tell me everything. Okay. I'm going to try to bottom line it. And I just... See, I do identify as someone... Yeah, I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder way back in 2003. It's right before you were born. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> But I was, uh, and panic disorder, and I struggle with OCD as well. So I understand what it feels like to have intrusive thoughts that you truly have no control over. Like you can use all the tools in your toolbox that you have learned from the best, smartest experts out there. And there are times where they just don't work. And I have been in those places. So I want to just acknowledge that from the beginning. And even, you know, when the onset of COVID, it ran away from me. And I was, I mean, it was, I, it was super bad to the point where I had to like get back on medication, call my therapist or cause I wasn't able to work. Mm-hmm. So there's that on one end of the spectrum. And then I feel like sometimes it's just a habit that we have formed where we don't trust ourselves we don't trust our intuition. We don't trust our instincts. We're seeking the counsel of everyone from our best friend to our rescue dog, to our tarot card reader. And, and again, it's just this habit that we've formed. And my belief is that especially women, and I say this because I don't know what it's like to be a man or a non-binary person, but like as, as women, I do think that our natural state 
is certainty. And it has been conditioned out of us that we, you know, we have been conditioned and socialized to believe that we don't know what's right for us, that someone else knows better or that, you know, we're, we're wrong or we're too emotional, et cetera, et cetera. So all that to say, you can coach yourself around it when you, I mean, the first step is like, you have to notice when you're doing it. And it sounds like you are pretty aware when you're doing it and just start to get really curious. And that's one of the, one of the go-to things. If you want to learn how to coach yourself, just get curious. Like, I wonder why I'm so indecisive about this. What is my biggest fear around this? What could possibly happen if I text him? I don't, I don't know, like all the scenarios and just sort of, it, it just, you're, you're kind of like an anthropologist, like digging around like, <laughs> what's underneath here. And you might, you might find something that's really interesting. That'll help you make the decision. Mm, yeah. What do you think? Well, I think that all was so, again, we are like, clearly we are, we are related and um, uh-huh. siblings <laughs> and the OCD and we have all the same neuroses. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, everything you said was so astute and like really landed with me, especially like the knowing thing. Like I think there, I usually can get to a point where I was talking to our mutual friend, Isabel Fox and Duke, cause she's one of mm-hmm. my like, best friends and people I talk a lot of these things out with. And she was saying, like, you get to this, this knowing eventually where you, she, and this is another thing I wrote down to talk to you about, because another way that we really connect, unfortunately for both of us is the feelings thing, right? Like you said something in your most recent episode and I was just last week in Michigan. So with my family for the first time in 19 months and this when I heard this, it, I just was laughing so hard because you said I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about our emotions, so I have a lot of making up to do. And I was like, "Oh, me too." Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that inner knowing is really physical and body, and that's what Isabel always comes back to, like when she's you know friend coaching me of saying like you're so in your head and not in your body, which is I think you know classic eating disorder right. thing. And, you know, I think we've even talked about that before when you've done the podcast, but I'm curious where, where you are with that, because usually with decision-making or, you know, when you have a tough conversation, just what's, what's been helping me most is like, I made my word of the year this year integrity. And so Mm -hmm. that's just, it sounds like altruistic and nice, but really it's just selfish about my own anxiety of like, if I'm in integrity with everything I do or try to be then I really have nothing to spiral about because even if I'm worried someone's mad at me or I'm worried someone didn't text me back, if I can like go through the checklist in my mind and be like, I did everything I could. And if they are mm-hmm. mad at me, it's their responsibility as a grown up to tell me. And then I yes. can say, I'm sorry and learn and grow. And, and so that's been helpful. But with the decision-making thing, usually I can get to a, like, this feels correct for me. And mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't. And it's just that knowing of like, no matter what decision you make, it's probably fine. And the universe will reroute you if it wasn't correct. But I guess I just fear regret a lot. I fear that feeling of like, it would have been easier if I made that other decision, which is sometimes true. Yeah. Oh, so many different directions we could go in. (laughs) I just, it's funny. We just watched Forrest Gump over the weekend. It's like one of my favorite movies. And we made my 13 year old son watch it with us. (laughs) And he talks at the very end about, you know, are we just kind of floating around 
basically like destiny. Like, do we actually have a destiny? My short answer to that is I don't know. I, I really don't know what the universe is thinking, if anything at all. <laughs> there are days where I'm like, yes, everybody has a destiny. And then there are days where I'm like, I, I really don't know. So the reason I say that is because I just am not worried anymore that, I, and I think part of this just comes with maturity. I turned 46 this year. And like, I, I can tell you, everyone is right when they say that once you hit your 40s, like that's really when the wisdom starts to come on board. And I'm here for it. It's it's really amazing. I will tell you that. So you have something to look forward to. And right. it's it's really, I just... I think probably because I've also, especially since my dad died in 2016, and I have made a conscious intention to work on surrender. Mm. And surrender is one of those things where as someone with anxiety, I don't like that. Like, <laughs> that makes me <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I want an itinerary. I want a guaranteed outcome. Yeah, like, I want to know plan. what's next. And mm-hmm. like, everyone's like that. Like even people mm-hmm. that don't have anxiety, we we like certainty as humans. So all that to say, I think it's a very real thing to worry about regret. The good thing about regret is that you will always learn something from it. Like I have some major regrets that... I can't go back and change them, but I can do something about it now, if that makes any sense. Like I didn't go to Australia when I was 31 because I was dating somebody who didn't want me to go because, you know, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I had everything lined up to go just to, for one semester and I didn't go. And I regret that. And now I don't beat myself up over it. And I'm like, I, I can go to Australia. Like as soon as this pandemic's over, like I'm going to go to Australia. It might be, you know, 15, 20 years later, but all that to say, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Wow. Well, on regret, as as you were talking, I was listening to, I know we both love Brene Brown. And mm-hmm. I'm. did you hear the episode on her? I think it was her podcast where she had Dax Shepard and Tim Ferriss. I listened to like the first like 10 minutes of it. And then I can't remember why I stopped listening. Yeah. It was really good. And I think you'd like it as a podcast host. You're such a tremendous interviewer. I thought it was really interesting from that perspective of them kind of inside baseball talking about podcasting a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about other things. And one of the things they talked about was regret. And I wrote down some notes that I just pulled up because as we're talking about this and Dax and Tim Ferris and Brene all had very different perspectives on regret. And I wrote down Tim Ferriss's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it real quick. He said, regret can be a useful teacher and a spotlight that helps you identify things you can benefit from doing or not doing. Regret mm-hmm. to me is a type of pain. And I think pain can be a positive force for change. If you have a pain in your abdomen, you go get it checked out. And if it's cancer, then you get it surgically removed. And then that was incredibly valuable. And it's the same for emotional pain. So... Yeah, I I think that's kind of like, you know, articulates what you were saying because Mm -hmm. the perspective that both Brene and Dax had was that regret is a waste of time, you know, like what are you going to do? It's in the past, you know, kind of like that. And I think, you know, it can have a function, but it's still frustrating, you know, it's still, I I would prefer to not have the regret, you know, I would prefer to have a time machine to go back and tell my boyfriend, like, I'm going anyway. Right, right, right. (laughs) But they yeah, it's 
it's the surrender. And I think I, I got this mantra or someone said this to me when I was in Bali that is, is really helping me still now, you know, over a year later where he was like, everything comes back. I mean, it's basically Eckhart Tolle 101, but it's like the mantra was here now in this. Uh And so I'm really trying to like not be rushing and not be overthinking. And when I see myself going into that indecision spiral or getting too high on the idea of something or projection or too worried about something in the future, like just what's in front of me right now. And it's so hard, but it's, you know, I'm getting better at it, I think. Yeah. And that is, that is definitely a learned skill. And as somebody who I always say, like I run, I run really high, like at full speed all the time. And I'm constantly being told to slow down. You know, when I was in coach training and we would have to record our coaching calls with clients and have them supervised, the feedback that I got was you're a great coach, but you need to slow down. You're kind of like dragging your, your client with you. Mm -hmm. And even the way I I walk fast, I talk fast, everything is fast. One of the things that I've learned, especially, I don't know if this is your experience or any of your listeners, but nighttime, sometimes if it's, it doesn't really matter. It could be anything going on in my life. But when I am tired enough to like put my book away and turn off the lights and I, sometimes I dread that moment because I know there's going to be a solid 15 minutes where I have my head on the pillow and my mind is just spinning until I fall asleep. And especially if it's a big thing about something that's going on with one of my kids, or if I'm, I have anxiety about finances or something like that, I tell myself, there is nothing I can do about it right in this moment. 11 PM, July 22nd, nothing I can do <laughs> at all. And so yeah. I will think about this tomorrow. I will handle this tomorrow. I am resourceful. I'm smart. I've been through tough times before. I will handle this tomorrow. It'll be waiting for me. And that just sometimes those mantras and talking to yourself, like that is something I would tell you. Like if you called me at like 11 PM and we're freaking out about something, I'd be like, Katie, there's nothing you can do about it right now. Let's let's talk about it in the morning. Yeah. And so I, I really try to put that into practice, the whole talk to yourself as you would someone you love and care about. Because in our personal development circles, that is, it might even sound trite and like a platitude, but it does have the power to change your life. Yeah, that's really freeing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think we want to have the fix and the solution right then, but oftentimes it's time, you know? Like yeah. I think someone told me once like if you don't have the solution now, wait a minute. Like just it means it's not there mm-hmm. yet. And that again, like you said, with certainty, we want we want it now. We want the certainty. We want to know, but it's like the the biggest practice for me that's been most helpful is like being okay and not knowing, being okay in the in-between. Yeah. I like middles, you know, and being in the beginning is uncomfortable or being in the uncertainty is uncomfortable. It is. Not my favorite either, but it's, yeah. it's life. Brene yeah. calls it the messy middle. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love your podcast so much and, and all of your work, but I'm curious like what before we start talking about your new book, I, I really would love to hear a little bit about how you're doing and and how the last year was. You you had this really vulnerable episode of your podcast where you had Amy, your best friend, on, mm-hmm. and you were talking about. You know, I, I wrote down this line where I don't know if it was from that episode, but you said healing is not on our timeline. Yeah. And I think a lot of the the you were talking about, and you can talk about a little bit of it here. And I, I'll link to that episode for people to hear more. But basically, you were really struggling in at the beginning of the pandemic, and you have done a lot of 
transformative somatic healing work mm-hmm. on yourself. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about, about feeling and about, you know, our tendency to disassociate and coming back to ourselves. And, you know, I wrote down something else that you said where you were like, other people have it worse, but our thing still hurts. And I'm curious where you are with being in your head and being in your body. And if you could talk about a little bit of the healing process and then update on where you are now in this big precipice of a new book coming out and a, a new part of your work. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to that and, and, and asking for an update. That's, that's the kind of you. It, it was a rough year <laughs> and, and you, and you summarized it well. And just to give a little bit of, of context, my 2019 was a really great year for me professionally. And my husband and I started the discussion of him leaving his job. You know, he's worked since he was 18 and also had benefits, at, um, health insurance for our family through his job. But we started the conversation of having him leave to be the stay-at-home parent to our two children. And we decided he would. And we decided that about six months before he actually left. So he gave his notice on February 29th, 2020. And his last day was March 13th, 2020. And you all probably remember <laughs> what was happening that week. Uh, they were canceling schools and and nobody really knew what was going to happen. They Amazon stopped shipping books and that's, you know, a part of my income and they were canceling events everywhere and I was like, "Oh my god, are we going to be destitute?" And and I went into like severe anxiety and depression and had some suicidal ideation in there and it was it was terribly frightening. It was the worst I had been in a long, long, long time, over 10 years. And I ended up getting on an antidepressant again and hiring a new therapist to go through some trauma therapy which she diagnosed me with complex PTSD. So I knew that I had PTSD. My previous doctor and my previous therapist had told me that, which I didn't want to accept because I felt like my story wasn't bad enough. But the complex PTSD felt like a relief because you know I'm 15 years out of my trauma and it was still coming up in my dreams. I was still having physiological responses to certain things and I I was I felt finally ready to move through it. And I think that when we look into trauma therapy or you know whether it's EMDR or whatever it is sometimes we can like the idea of it like we want to be on the other side but when it comes down to actually doing the work it's rough. It is it is no joke. Especially someone like you know like me and probably like a lot of your listeners and you as well. I would rather stay up in my head. It's safer there. I feel like I have more control over it and I'm used to it. So when I knew that I had to like get into my body and do all this somatic healing, I was scared. And it took me many sessions with her of just doing talk therapy to trust her enough to be able to, to have her do this work with me. One of the things I think that was so incredibly helpful from that was slowing down (laughs) to be able to feel and understand and accept where that trauma was living in my body. So that now when something happens, that's completely unrelated to that. And I feel it in that same spot. I know exactly what my body is trying to tell me. And I've had to relearn this. I've had to relearn how to listen to my body. And this goes beyond hunger cues and and things like that. I mean, this is listening to my intuition, like truly knowing what's best for me, 
truly knowing what the next step is that I need to do. And I just feel like it's, I say, I tell this story because like, this is a lifelong process. And if you are struggling there, A, you're not alone. And B, there is nothing wrong with you. This is hard work. It is hard work. And I, I agree with, I, it might even be Brene again, mentioning her that said, we are feeling beings in a human body. We're not human bodies that feel like we are, we are feeling beings that are spiritual and, you know, walking around in these, what do some people call it? Like meat socks or something like, yeah. some, like really weird. Word. I don't like that. It freaks me out. <laughs> I don't know. I might've just made that up, but no, but I'm, I'm kind of taking yeah. a long way to just tell you that like that experience of, of letting go and, and going through that trauma therapy was, I mean, I, you can't see me right now, but like I have my arms crossed over my chest and I, and I, I kind of like shrunk in a little bit, just remembering, remembering mm. how hard it was yeah. to go through that, like during the pandemic. But I, I knew the way I described it as, as I, I came to my husband one day, this was right before I hired the therapist. And I said, I feel like I've been living my life. Like, you know, when you're a little kid and it's the summertime and you get a popsicle or like an ice cream cone and it's so hot and it's melting and you have yeah. to, you have to lick really fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you have to stay one lick ahead of the meltdown because the popsicle could break off, which is like the worst, or your ice cream could like fall on the ground and you're fast, fast, fast trying to stay one lick ahead of the meltdown. And I said, that's how I feel like I'm living my life. I feel like I am, I am just trying to stay one lick ahead of the meltdown. Like if I make more money, if I am the best wife, the best friend, like I then I don't have to truly deal with this trauma that I have mostly locked up. And I had to tell him that because I, I was about to walk into some pretty intense therapy. And I don't know if you've ever had therapy like this, but I've never had it where I couldn't do anything else for the rest of the day after I met with her. Wow. I had to go home. I could not see any clients. I didn't want to talk to anybody. All I wanted to do was get in my bed with my dog and a blanket and just turn the lights off. And sometimes I took a nap. Sometimes I didn't, but I had to allow myself to do that. It's a full body experience. Yeah. It was rough. I won't lie. It was rough, but like the other side is worlds better and it's, and I'm not done. Yeah. It was, it, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so sorry that it was so challenging. And, and also I'm so happy that, you know, on the other side of that was, was so much growth as, as these things do tend to happen, <laughs> tend to happen. But I, I relate so much as I was listening to it. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, Oh man, I have to do that too. I was like, <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was like, the bug in it, it really, yeah. I was like, Oh man, that's, I think I have some stuff I need to process. And I think with, you know, being someone who's who's self-aware and like you into personal growth and, and have been for so many years and got into it young and blah, blah, blah. I think it can feel like such a mountain that I have to climb again and again and again. And, and even as you said, you were like, and I still have more to go. And it's like, I look at you and I'm like, oh my God, like she is so together. How could she have any more to do? But I guess that's the human experience of like, why else mm -hmm. are we here than to learn and grow and process? And, but also you enjoy your life. And I, and I think that that, that really inspires me too. And yeah, it can just feel, I can just sometimes feel like I have so much I need to process and trauma and heal that I can get into this 
kind of, well, what's the point? Should I just like try to, because even like with therapy, I, I started working with a new therapist somewhat recently because I couldn't keep, I was working with my therapist in New York remotely, but then she was like, I'm like actually not licensed in California now that you officially live there. Like, oh, bye-bye. <laughs> and that was a real bummer because of a breakup because yeah. she, I'd been to couples therapy with her, with my ex-boyfriend. And I brought my mom once when I was in New York and, you know, she, she had all the backstory. Right. And right. now I have to like, with this new therapist, I have to like, hit all the notes of like parents divorce this, eating, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, and I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm 30. I don't want to have to like sit in that again. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. But like, I get that it's needed. And, and anyway, I just, some, I, I guess my question for you is what do you do when it feels daunting? It always feels daunting. So I don't know any other way. Yeah. It just feels daunting. Okay. That's all I need to know. That's just I was like, it... pause for a second. Okay, and I'm like, has it ever not felt daunting? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but that's a really great question. So, I, so I guess for me, you know, like, what do I do all the time? Cause it always feels daunting. I think part of it is my personality. I think I came out of the womb, the kind of child that I don't know if you're familiar with the folktale, the emperor has no clothes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm the person that's going to point out that the emperor is naked when everybody else is like, I love your, you know, your outfit. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, no, it's naked. Like I was always that kid, but I didn't grow up in a family where we did that. So my therapist pointed out like that's, that can be traumatic for someone who feels things going on and you're walking around and nobody is going to actually talk about the reality of what's happening. And so there's a part of me, again, that's my personality where I just, I feel like I have no other choice. Like the alternative of not doing the work and just like continuing to shove it down. I don't have any more room in my baggage. Like I have sat on it to like zip it up. And I, I truly love that, that metaphor of, of baggage, you know, you know, carrying around our baggage. And I think that we go through life we grow up and to some extent we pack our bags, you know, when we start carrying it around into adulthood and then some of us make the choice to work through it and start to unpack it, but we don't pack on all of it. And then we get into a relationship and because we're humans, stuff happens and we get triggered and then we end up packing away more stuff and like more family of origin stuff gets uncovered. And it's like, okay, let me put more stuff. And then we go to the next relationship or the next job or the next city carrying around our baggage. (laughs) And it's just this ongoing process of carrying it around. And I think to keep going with that same metaphor, it's like, I'm just at the point now where I refuse to carry anything more than I'm able And also, you know, I quit drinking almost 10 years ago. I quit codependence, like all of my major coping mechanisms, like process addictions and chemical addictions, my eating disorder, I don't do those anymore. And so I have a low tolerance for pain. I just, I can't, I, that muscle is weak and I'm glad that it is like, if that makes sense, like I just, I don't have the capacity to carry around tons and tons of pain like I used to. And I kind of hope that for everyone. Like I hope you get to the point where your tolerance is low. And so you you have no other choice but to turn your head and look at the pain so you can work through it. Mm. I think I have a pretty high 
tolerance right now I where sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes it floors me of like, I had this moment last year where I was just, and I'm sure you can probably relate to this of like in, in the past for you, like I, I remember like I was interviewing for in a, a new apartment and I was like, while on that call, packing for a trip, doing like 8,000 things at once and something kind of like jarring happened while I was on that call. And I was able to like pack it down and not miss a beat being like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, blah, 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 blah. and I was just, I cut off that. I was like, how did that not like shake you? Like, that's like, something is wrong here that like you are that like, you know, disassociated. And I yeah. think, um, you know, I, I really, really, I think, you know, something that we connect on the, the eating disorder, a lot that we connect on the eating disorder piece, like that other metaphor analogy that you gave about the ice cream and melting, like uh-huh. I really relate to that in the context of, of an eating disorder that I think is, is relevant to how I view everything, you know, like how they say everything is everything. Like I was always wanting to just be like a little under, you know, just like a little bit ahead. So I didn't have to like worry, you know, Mm -hmm. and I still feel that way where it's like, I want to just be a little bit ahead in work. I want to have a little bit more money in my bank account. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And I think just allowing it to be like, sometimes it's going to get ahead of you and like ride the wave of that. It goes back to uncertainty, you know, it's like, we don't want to feel what we don't want to feel. So we try to like put these barriers in, but I think just feeling it without trying to resist it is the only way. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that's helped me, and I do think that this has come just with doing the work and also maturity is I, in those moments, because I still have those moments too, those, that scarcity mindset, I remind myself how resourceful I am. I remind myself how experienced I am, how smart I am, and that I can and will get through this. I remind myself of the support system I have. Sometimes it takes just kind of like looking around with like two feet on the ground and going like, okay, I am going to be okay. Because again, our our mind can run away from us. And I want to circle back to something you said too, Katie, about the compartmentalizing and kind of dissociating and something happened and, and it didn't take you out. I am that way too. And I I tell a story in the book about it. Like when my daughter had to have an emergency appendectomy when she was five and I was like almost stoic and it was, uh, um, it almost scared me how I did not cry. I didn't like, I almost became like hypervigilant in the situation. Like I'm going to handle the details. Like same thing happened when when my dad died. And what I have come to realize is that that is a coping mechanism I learned as a child. And B, I can use that in difficult situations, but I cannot ignore, like I have to always circle back with myself and my feelings because the old me would do that compartmentalization and then never come back and just, you know, stockpile the pain and anxiety and worry and all of the things. But now what I do is I notice that it's happening and I'm great in a crisis if something hard happens, like you want me there, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be clear headed. (laughs) I'm going to be the one to talk to the manager. Like it's, it's all going to be fine. And later, if I don't readdress the feelings, then it, it will eventually break me some other way. And I, I think I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that. Like learning to, to lean in that that's a strength of mine and a skill that used to not serve me, but I've, I've, in other words, I've learned how to make it work for me. Yeah. I love that. I really relate to that. And I love that. You mentioned the new book. I am so 
excited about this book of of all of your work. I think this this body of work is so tremendous and timely. And I heard you say that you got the idea for the book actually in 2016. Could you talk a little bit about the impetus back then and Mm -hmm. what that seed of an idea was that became your new book? Yeah, I think for for many of us, and when I say us, I mean probably for many women, if you know anybody was interested in the the women's march and that election and what happened that year and then in 2017 the Me Too movement, I think many of us were traumatized or re-traumatized when that happened. It was such an important thing that we all watched happen and and then in 2018 with the Kavanaugh hearings that was especially hard for me. I think being someone who's experienced sexual assault, not, not to the degree that, that Christine Blasey Ford experienced and, and many other women, but experienced it nonetheless, that we saw a conversation happening. We saw you know some men waking up and just the conversation at large was happening more. And I was talking to a friend of mine and we were sort of unpacking some things. And I said, I feel like in many ways, women's empowerment is an act of rebellion. And, and also, if you're talking about women's empowerment, you're talking about feminism. Like, I, I can't not admit that anymore. We are. And if we're talking about feminism, we're talking about patriarchy. And if we're talking about patriarchy, we are talking about white supremacy. So it's all connected. And I am not an anti-racism educator. I point to much better experts and Black women who, who can do that. But I am someone who's experienced, and we've all grown up in a patriarchal culture. And, and I want to say for the record that patriarchy hurts everyone, <laughs> including, including men. I love men. It's, it's not against any one particular man, but there are some things in this culture that need to be examined and done away with. And that is directly related to the work I do in women's empowerment. People-pleasing, perfectionism, the inner critic, not feeling enough, diet culture. like All of these things come back to our culture. And I'm also obsessed with getting to the root of the problem. I'm like, let's just figure it out. Like, What's the fastest way to get there? <laughs> and, I, and I could not write another book without addressing that. So that's, that's where it came from. Yeah. And you did such a great job. And I think this it really shows your you know decades of of working on yourself and you have this new i think somewhat new mantra of like an ethos of your work which is and maybe you can say it correctly because i don't have it written down but it's like basically your your life's work is to do you know what i'm talking about how our purpose is our path no it's your life's work is to it's your responsibility to work on oh. yourself mm-hmm. and it's your purpose to, so you can help the world basically, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. so much more concise. What yes. is it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's probably, you're probably thinking of my sign off on my podcast. Yes. It's our yes. life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. I truly believe that to be true. Yes. That has really stuck with me. Just that, like when I, you know, was like a couple months ago, like re getting into your work, I was like, that is so well said because of all the 12 step work I've done, like recently, uh-huh. I think a lot of, it really shook me that a lot of the personal growth and, and spiritual content that I was taking in for the past 10 years, since I've had the podcast really misses the mark in service, right? Like it all comes back to like, 
we are wired as human beings to help each other. And again, not in an altruistic way, but in a way of like, it makes me feel really good and gets me out. Nothing gets me out of my own anxiety than like listening and being there for a friend truly. And I think that is missed in so much personal growth work and the way you articulated that, especially, you know, after what you were saying, like looking at, you know, in a, in a shadow way of like white supremacy and looking at all of the anti-racism work I was, am doing and, and really doubled down on like a lot of us last year. I think that line really encompasses like, you know, it is a privilege to be able to do all of this work on ourselves. And it's our responsibility, like you said, to be of service and to grow and to, you know, and working on yourself does help the the group. And I think that is a big theme of this book to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and thank you for saying all of that. You, you definitely are reading into it exactly how I'd hope people would. And at the same time, it's a real thing that women do too much for people. <laughs> Not always. And I, I'm generally speaking here, but again, our, our culture teaches us to be accommodating and nurturing and selfless and put everyone else's comfort before our own. And those are not inherently bad things. They're not. I, I think that they're fantastic. And at the same time, what I want to ask people is, where does that cross over into you not honoring your values, to not being your authentic self, to you essentially being a doormat, to you yeah. people-pleasing and not asking for what you need from the people around you and saying like, I'm fine. No, I don't need anything. Like that's, we just have to watch out for that. That's, yeah. that's all I'm trying to say. Totally. And I think, you know, the title of your book, Make Some Noise is so incredible. And it, it you know, I've spent so much of my life, like trying to not be too much and, you know, physically like taking up space and, and, you know, being ashamed and embarrassed. And, and another big lesson I got it, got from it and, and that I've been learning myself in the last several years is like, it actually does serve the group to speak up for yourself and to do mm-hmm. what is correct for you. And that's another, you know, theme of this book that I just, I really hope people pick it up, of course, to support my friend, but also because it's just so tremendous and so important. Like, like you said, I think, you know, thinking about your kids and thinking about, you know, future generations, like it's so different than how I grew up and how you grew up and having, you know, this book in the hands of, of people who take in the concepts, like will will really make a world gentler and kinder. Well, thank you. I, I hope so. And I, I appreciate it. And, and I'm so incredibly proud of this book. It was difficult to write, not because it was COVID, that was part of it, but because I tell some pretty gut-wrenching and transparent stories in this book. And, and I want people, I always want people to see themselves in my stories, in my books, like mostly because I want people to be their own hero. Like I, I want them to walk away with not just inspiration and motivation, but tools, like action steps for them to take tangibly in their lives that are also practical and not, you know, these extraordinarily, don't worry, I'm not taking people through deep trauma work in this book. (laughs) You're on your own for that. (laughs) But you do ask a lot of questions and you have a lot of I ask over 250 questions in that book. Yeah. There's a lot. Really, really good. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, da- there's a workbook that I specifically had to make that I don't, I'm not charging people for because when I realized how many questions are in there, I was like, oh my God. I'm definitely wanting people to learn how to coach themselves in this yeah. book. 
Totally. And you have a lot of cool bonuses and we'll link to all of that. And, and I want people to get them. This week's episode is brought to you by Northwest Cherry Growers. I am so excited about this sponsor. My summer sure would not be complete without cherries. Northwest Cherry Growers. That's right. This episode is brought to you by the sweet summertime fruit, Northwest Cherries. Beyond their crisp, juicy flavor, deep red color, sweet cherries pack an abundance of nutritional benefits to support your health year-round. Research shows that sweet cherries have a positive effect on inflammation, blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, cognitive function, even sleep. Do yourself a favor and add sweet cherries to your shopping list today. Now available online and in grocery stores nationwide. Tis the season for cherries. Visit nwcherries.com slash sweethealth to learn more. That's nwcherries.com slash sweethealth to learn more. This week's episode is brought to you by Glamnetic. I... I'm so excited about this. So I tried false lashes when I was in high school for the prom. And I'm pretty sure with the glue, I pulled out pretty much all of my lashes from that. So this company makes a product that is so cool. You can get rid of the lash glue for good when you want to wear false lashes. What's really cool about this product is that you'll never have to show up late because you're trying to put in your lashes. Again, I don't really wear luxe fancy makeup often, but you know, I might start because these are, I think I am gonna start in fact, these are so easy to apply. It's so fun. And my friend Christine always talks about, you know, when she turned 30, she wanted to wear more glitter and actually like do more fun things with makeup. And I'm feeling the same way. And I think especially after the pandemic, it feels good to get dressed up and try new things. And I think if you have an event or a wedding, Glamnetic Magnetic Lashes are for you. They are created to save you time and money. And these lashes are a real game changer. They've sold over 500,000 pairs of lashes in 2020. And I hopped on the train, gave them a go. They're really, really cool. And I think you're going to like them a lot. They make putting on lashes so easy. They're made to stay on all day and they get applied in a second. Lash glue doesn't stand a chance with these. I think it's just a way better way to use a product like this if you're going to use it. And it's more environmentally friendly. It takes under a minute to apply with no toxic glue, no struggle, up to 60 uses per lash. So that's what makes it more eco-friendly and wallet friendly. And there's over 75 styles, which I really love from natural, which is what I really go for. Or you can do like a full glam and you can do a different lash for every mood. And you just go to their website and take a quiz from their lash guide to find the style that best suits you. And what's cool is they have lashes for every eye shape and there's a 100% money back guarantee. So there's really no reason to not try it and it supports the podcast if you do so just give it a go over 500,000 happy customers expedited shipping with free shipping to the US and Canada on orders of $30 or more find out for yourself why Glamnetic lashes are Instagram's favorite beauty hack go to glamnetic.com slash let it out that's g-l-a-m-n-e-t-i-c dot com slash let it out and enter the code let it out for 30% off your order. This code is only available for our listeners. That's glamnetic 
com slash let it out and enter our promo code let it out at checkout for 30% off. I promise you guys these lashes are literally applying themselves. Thank you, Glam Medic. I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, your writing process for this. What, what, what was that like for you? And I'm just curious, your writing process in general or any tips on, on writing and, and, mm-hmm. and creativity? I think that, mm, I don't know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I have found that creativity sort of as a broad thing looks different, at least for me, than writing a book. Of course, there's a lot of creativity when it comes to writing a book. But in my experience of writing the three books that I've had, they've all been traditionally published. I have signed on the dotted line and I have a deadline. And it's a it's a job. It is a straight up and down J-O-B. And it loses... I don't mean to like take the wind out of people's sails when I say this, but I'm always going to be honest. For me, it loses a little bit of its sexiness and appeal when I do that because it sort of shifts into, okay, now I need to do this thing for the people. Do you know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. a little bit different than me just sitting down and doing something creative just for the sake of doing, doing something creative. So I wanted to make that distinction. You do Um, that too. Do you do things like just to not as much as I would like. And it's funny. I was just talking to somebody about that. I, I think that for writers, writing just for ourselves is necessary and it's a form of self-care. My friend, Jamie Jensen, who's a screenwriter, she actually lives in Brooklyn. She's the one who told me that. And I, I believe that so much to be true. The last time I really, truly wrote just for myself was when my dad died in 2016. And I wrote this like super angsty, dark poetry. And it was probably one of the smartest things I ever did just to get me through it. Cause I, I took a note from my friend Katie and let it out. (laughs) Oh, I did. Sometimes I go back and read that. I was like, dang, that's really dark, but I I needed to, I needed to get it out of my body. Yeah. And so thank you for tapping me on the shoulder. It it is definitely something that, that I'm trying to do more. And I, I have been wanting to write a memoir for a really long time. Yes, Memoir is its own craft. I can write nonfiction prescriptive in my sleep. Right. And I'm being a little bit like dramatic when I say that <laughs> I'm not that good, but I, it's, it comes very easy to me now that I had a lot of practice, but memoir is definitely its own animal. And I am taking classes and, and trying to figure out how to cool. do that really well before I try to sell that book. So hopefully it'll be within the next five years or so but to answer your question. Um, I don't write every day, which I know a lot of writers do. And that's, that's solid advice. If you can do it, do it. I don't, and I don't, I'm not sorry about it. It's just not, not how I work. I also know that I write best in the beginning of the day. So I try to do that as most as I can, and then leave the stuff that doesn't require as much brain energy for the end of the day. And I work best with a deadline and a word count and I work backwards. So if you tell me I need to write 50,000 words by the end of the year, I will, I will simply divide that by the amount of weeks that there are at the end of the year and just do the math and then plug that into my calendar. Mm. Yeah. I, I relate to that, like in the process of writing my book as well. And especially the beginning of the day thing. And Mm -hmm. Also, I'm very excited for your memoir. <laughs> I am too. It's been, oh my gosh. So I, I hired someone. I, I think any creative will appreciate this. 
uh, whether you're a writer or singer or whatever, I hired someone to help me because I'm like, I just need to know where I'm at. Like, how bad is it? <laughs> and I, and I don't mean that to be self-deprecating. Uh, so I sent her 2,500 words and we, and she, you know, I, and it was very first draft. I hadn't even agonized over this or anything. Like I wanted bare bones. Tell me where I'm messing up. And let me tell you, that was a rough 90 minute zoom call with her. Cause she tore it apart and I knew she would, I needed her to, I needed to see in black and white, like, what do I need to learn? There's so much to learn with memoir. And for anyone out there who's interested in writing it, like my advice is to read really great memoir and look at what you notice, like, look at what you notice about it and also take classes because yeah. it's its own craft. I'm curious what class you're taking. Cause I, I would love to, to do that. I have you read Mary Carr's book, The Art of the I Memoir? Have, I didn't love it. My favorite is the memoir project by Marion Roach Smith. Oh, I don't know that one. I should read I, that. I looked into working with her. I just find it so what's it called? The easy. memoir project. It's called the memoir project. Marion Roach Smith. I looked into hiring her one-on-one, but she had like a three-month waiting list. Oh, wow. So the woman that I hired is a memoirist out of Portland. Her name is Jennifer. I don't even know how to pronounce her last name. It's L-A-U-C-K. She had a New York Times bestseller called Blackbird about her childhood. Yeah. I even looked into getting an MFA and my friend same. Laura McCowan talked me out of it. She's like, you don't need an MFA. <laughs> yeah, I, same. I was doing all the same things because I, you know, I, I wrote Let It Out, which is like a prescriptive book that was like kind of a fluke and I was really young and blah, blah, blah. But I, I would love to someday write a book of essays, probably not for a long time, but I just want to write. I want to develop the craft, like you were saying, of writing essays and um, have a long, long way to go. But I think these, I think the self-awareness of like that we want to learn and it's a different, it's a different mode and a different skill set than writing, you know, in the personal growth space um, mm-hmm. is really It is like, can I just give you like one tip that I think was so helpful for me that she, that she showed me. And I kind of knew this, but I didn't know what the words were and the lingo, like the jargon. So she said, she's like, you're really good at summarizing, but you need to zoom in. And now I'm, I know I'm forgetting what the name of it is, where, where you, and, and read any great memoir and you'll notice that they're doing it. And you probably hadn't noticed before, but it's where they talk about. So for instance, like this conversation that we're having right now, if someone was writing about it, they could write like Andrea and Katie had a conversation. It was 45 minutes long. Andrea was wearing a white shirt and her black joggers. Like you're just kind of like describing and setting it all up. And they talked about this, this, and this, and then they got up and had dinner or whatever. So what memoir does is it zooms in and talks about maybe only specifically you and I in the very beginning of our conversation, so excited to talk to each other and the energy around it, the emotions that we were feeling. So it's, it's different than, than actually just like summarizing the story as you would tell it to someone. And that's how you draw the reader in. That's what makes great memoir is, is making the person feel like they're there experiencing it with you instead of just watching it from 300 feet away. Yeah. Oh, that's so incredible. And that's hard to do. What are some of your favorite memoirs? I love memoirs that are about people's childhoods that were vastly different from my own. So I loved The Glass Castle. That was such a that was such a, a memoir about resilience. That's another yeah. thing about memoir is they they each memoir will have a common thread. So it's not just the stories. 
So that book I feel like was about resilience. I loved the the sound of gravel, which is about a girl that grew up on um, LDS fundamentalist, like a commune. It was really good. And I, of course I loved educated, although I was a little worried at the end because she kind of like tied it up with a bow. And I was like, um, are you sure? <laughs> doesn't sound like you're done. Did you read that one? Mm-mm. Tara Westover. It, it The book's huge. It was good. Yeah, and also, you would love it if you haven't read it. I'm sure your readers would too. Um, Lori Gottlieb's um, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Oh, yeah. She's great. It was yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's really great. I, I really like that too. And then I loved um, Chanel Miller's Know My Name, the woman, oh, uh, the yes. Brock Turner case. Yeah. I listened to that one on audiobook actually, and it was phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. My, my writing teacher was reading that. And when I, I met her when I was in Bali last year and, and she was reading that book, but I haven't read it. It's hard it to read on my list. I had yeah. to take breaks. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I just learned so much and, and yeah, I'm curious. I, I'll see. We'll, we'll talk about that when it's out. <laughs> we will. I'll have to come back on. Yeah. You need to come back on my show too, when you're ready. Yes, have I would another conversation. love that. I would love that. I wanted to talk to you about, you know, you've been in this industry for over a decade, years. 150 <laughs> years. I'm curious, you know, how the industry has changed. I mean, clearly like you know, people are so much more, um, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. I don't need to say any more. I'm, I'm curious how that feels for you. I, I had a, a conversation with a guest recently where we had both started our project. She does YouTube. I do podcasting in 2013. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we were wellness focused at that time. And she made a good point. She was like, at that time it was a niche, but now it's just everyone is like into right. astrology and personal growth and green smoothies, you know, but that t- at that time yoga was like still niche. And so I was like, Oh yeah, it's so funny. Now I almost feel like I need like a new niche. Like, do you, how, yeah, I would love to hear your perspective on the industry now opposed to when you started. Oh my gosh, it's changed so much. And it hasn't even really been that long. You know, when I first started training, it was 2007 and people back then did not know what life coaching was for the most part. They didn't, they didn't understand it. Now people do. And I think that's fantastic. I also think from a, from a kind of marketing standpoint with online coaches specifically, we've moved away from sort of this brand marketing, which worked when I first started. I mean, I, you know, I had the URL, Your Kick-Ass Life, and that was the name of my podcast for a long time. And, and that really worked. And then we have moved, we've shifted I miss over it. the last... <laughs> I get so attached to things that I can still hear the, the theme song of that. Life's too short to not totally kick ass. Yeah. That was a voice talent that I hired. And I was like, I remember it was like super expensive. And I thought I was so fancy because I hired like a legitimate voice talent woman that lived in New York City. But that worked for a while. And then we, we shifted more into relationship marketing where... You know, people are able to DM us on Instagram and people have access to us, which is interesting in and of itself. But anyway, and then and that's where I went to. I'm AndreaOwen.com now, and I've, I've mostly let go of, of your kick ass life. And it also became, you know, like a bit of a novelty. But at the time, it was, <laughs> it really worked and, and was, was part of the reason I think that, that catapulted my brand as it did way back then. And I, I think that too, we've moved away, thank God, from toxic positivity. And, and a lot of my very first book was just drenched in that. And if I could go back and edit a lot of parts, I would. I, I just, I didn't know. And I started to get that feeling when I was deeply immersed in the law of attraction 
And I had a mentor and I asked her a question and, and the long and short of it, I didn't like her answer saying that anybody who's experienced any kind of harm, even children, like had a soul contract and it was like meant to happen. And I was like, absolutely not. No, I cannot get behind that. I can't. And that was sort of the impetus for me of moving away from that and thinking critically about certain things. You know, you can just like pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can just change your thoughts and completely change your life and manifest your reality, which those things do work. I'm not saying that they don't, but there's so much nuance. There's so much gray area that we have to talk about to honor everyone's experience. That's where I think that the industry has shifted that I'm excited about and that I think more people need to get on board um, because they're leaving people out. They're leaving people behind. Yeah, because I think specifically to to your point about the law of attraction, you know, things that have been useful for for both of us in, in mm-hmm. different ways. The the part that it really leaves out is is like privilege, basically, of sure. like so much of it is subconscious, and to mm-hmm. do it properly, it's like to deal with the subconscious thoughts and, you know, which is most of what we're manifesting from, and to deal with the subconscious takes a lot of rest, somatic, peaceful, like going in there. And like, like I think of my mom as an example, and obviously so many other people who have, you know, are not privileged to be able to have the time and the space to like do the type of trauma healing that, that Mm -hmm. you did last year, or like, you know, even, even not even at that level, but like you, it, it, it really misses the mark of like, just do the work and think positive and all of that. It's like, well, most of it is underneath the surface. And to get down there, you need time and space. And most people have to like work, you know? Yeah. You need time, space and resources, which right. some people just don't have access to. Yeah. My trauma therapy was expensive. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. We didn't have insurance. I had to pay out of pocket and it was not cheap. And I, and I, I always acknowledge that like, yes, I had, and even like, even the starting of my business, I never like to talk about the quote unquote rags to riches story because I had a husband who had a full-time job with benefits and was able to, I use the term like bankroll me loosely because we weren't making a ton of money. That's one of the reasons we left Southern California because it was so expensive to have two babies in a brand new business. But I, I had that support that a lot of people don't have. And I just, I think we just need to talk about that more and yeah. not to beat ourselves up and not to you know feel ashamed about it, but just to say what's there. Yes. Oh my God. That's, that's so helpful. Like I think a couple of years ago, and I might've told, told you this, I was trying to start a magazine and I realized too, too late. I'd invested like all I had from working a full-time job for six years. And, you know, I had a little bit of money in my savings for that. I invested all of it. And and I had an expander, a person who, who had a magazine and I remember meeting with her and being like, how do you do this? And she was like, oh, my dad gave me a bunch of money. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so <laughs> happy to know that because I don't have that. And I don't, you know, and she was also like married and had a partner and had all the and I was like, I have no business doing this. Like, I can't I just don't have the resources for this. And that was really helpful to know that she was honest with me, you know, because yeah. that's not on the about page, you know, <laughs> And it nor should I feel like it should be. Honestly. Um, (laughs) It was really helpful for me to know. You know, I think that honesty of like, and that's a whole nother conversation that we probably don't have time to get into, but you know, just about money and that honesty of like with 
each other. And this is a very solo profession that we have for the most part. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I consider you one of my coworkers or colleagues or, you know, cause like just knowing that information is helpful and it's like, it can be so insular and, you know, talking to each other is really helpful. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Always, always. It's my duty. I feel like. Yeah. It's so, so kind and helpful. I have about 100 million more questions for you. So it's okay because you won't, (laughs) you'll be, you'll come on again, but let's do these as quick fire and see how many we can get through. Okay. So one thing that I wrote down is in an episode in the last several months, you were talking about the words audacity, opportunistic, and conceited and reclaiming them. Could you talk about that? Yeah, I think that many of us have visceral reactions to those words. And I, I, okay, so quick fire, I want people to examine them. Like, what is your reaction to it and why? And how can you redefine that for yourself? Was that too quick? <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't too quick at all. I really related to what you were saying is because I think in that episode, you were saying like conceited. Now I'm just like putting pennies in the Andrea Owen jukebox to like get <laughs> Go for the, it. the points I really loved. But you were saying that like when you were growing up, conceited was like, a really bad thing to be. Oh, yeah. And Especially like in middle I, school. Totally. And I, you know, we had that with like, you never wanted to brag, you know? And so right. I kind of like, Tig Notaro has a lot of like funny jokes where she's, they say things like, not to brag about like something that's like so silly, like not yeah. to brag, but like I am wearing a large t-shirt right now because <laughs> it's so high, you know? And <laughs> I think that's so funny to do now, but it, it just, it really landed with me of like the reason why I wrote this down, because I feel like so much of what I have built is on relationships and mm-hmm being a person who can read the room really well. I, I'm uh, like too emotionally intelligent. Like I'm, I can almost like at the expense of being myself, I can like read what's happening with people so, so easily. And I've built, you know, I wonder if I've built a house of cards, but you know, I I've built a lot on relationships and sometimes I can like, you know, with integrity being my word of the year, I can be like, am I opportunistic? Like, am I, do I have the audacity to like ask for help or ask to like, you know, the little things matter. Like thinking about like my podcast has been around for so many years and is comparatively so small to so many. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I might have to get a full-time job. And that was like really on my mind in the last couple of months. And like, I might have to just stop doing all this and the little tiny things help. Like, being mm-hmm. featured on someone's podcast, someone mentioned, and it's so tiny and it's so uncontrollable. And it's so gross to me almost that like those little things do matter, but is it opportunistic or is it just like the way the world works? And the way you explained that was, was just such a shift for me. Yeah. Well, the word opportunistic really is, you know, this isn't like the Webster's dictionary version, but, but it, it's basically if you go after and take advantage of opportunities where you are stepping on or hurting someone else, that's mm. opportunistic. And so that's very different from what you just described. But many times women have judgments or assumptions about you know women who ask for everything they want, women who network their faces off, you know, and just like really go for it, who are highly ambitious. I mean, I oh my god, I can go on and on about this. Like Pew Research did a study about certain traits of Americans that they view differently in men versus women. 
And <laughs> ambitious rated very, very low for women, but high for men. Powerful, same thing. And this is why I want to have this conversation so much is because we tend to have many times these unconscious assumptions and sometimes stereotypes about what it means for a woman to be someone who is assertive and asks for everything that she wants. We will kind of target her as opportunistic when she's not, like not at all. Sometimes there are, I'm not saying there aren't opportunistic people out there, women, including for sure, but just examine how you define these things. Mm, Yeah. So you're not hurting anyone else. Like it's okay to, you know, it's not manipulative. It's okay. Yeah. And I, I often think about Taylor Swift. Like people always are like, she was being, the word's not manip. What is crucified? The word? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the word that they always say about her? That it was like a, when something's a conscious choice. I can't think of the word right now, but it's like she was, she was conscious of that, or she was. Oh, there's like a word. I, I listen to a lot of like people talk about her work and her art, and it's so interesting to me. And you know, of course, she know she knows what she's doing, and like that's mm-hmm. just smart. You know, yeah. and instead of like that, why is that a bad thing? I don't know if people would say that about other stars. Well, they probably wouldn't say it about men. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another thing I really want to touch on is in your most recent episode, you mentioned your 13 year wedding anniversary with your husband. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What have you learned about relationships and, and what advice do you have? And I guess I'll I'll bleed in the second question here and you can riff on both. I'm curious, you know, what you say to your clients who are dating and, you know, how those two pieces both move together of like attachment styles and not getting too attached and both being in a relationship and desiring a relationship. Wow, that's yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Um okay, I'll try to be concise. What have I learned? I think the most important thing about... Because this is my second marriage. My first one ended terribly. We were both toxic for each other. Uh, You have to learn how to communicate. You have to. like Read all of John Gottman's work. I think he's like number one when it comes to relationships, whether it's a heterosexual relationship or same-sex relationship. And learn how to communicate what you want. There's this saying, and I don't remember who said it, but if if something's bo- still bothering you after 24 hours, say something within 48 hours. Mm. And I want to live by that because how many times do we does something happen and we hold on to this resentment and we're like, it was no big deal. I don't need to say anything, or just waiting for them to say something. Like that is something that can be just detrimental to relationships. So that's something that we've had to learn. It's the it's like therapy 101, like learn how to have mature, healthy conversations. We don't fight. Like we disagree plenty of times, but we don't fight. And I, I wasn't used to that in the beginning. I was used to yelling, accusing, name calling, pleading, crying. Like that's all I knew. And, and that was the only way I felt like I could get his attention, you know, my ex-husband. And I don't do that anymore. And let me tell you, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing to not have that drama. Um, And in terms of people who are dating, talk about everything before you get married. How do you want to handle finances? If one of you is going to be a stay-at-home parent, how are you going to handle the distribution of chores? Like, talk about parenting. If you if you want to be parents, like, how do you plan on parenting? Talk about retirement. What do you want to? How do you see yourself as a retired person? What do you want to do? Do you want to stay home all the time? And then, like, your partner's like, actually, I wanted to travel like the world. Like, I never knew how many decisions we were going to have to make as a couple 
it, it, to me, it was just like, do I like you? Yes. Let's get married. Like that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, You have to see eye to eye on a lot of different things. And I can see why so many people get divorced because mm. we don't know how to talk to each other. We bring in our old crap from other relationships. Like I'm raising my hand over here. And, and then we don't, we're, we're trying to get our partner to heal them for us. And it's not their job. It's not. And it's one of those things where, gosh, like, Katie, be glad, you, you know, you're waiting to, to get married, whether it was your choice or not, because I'll tell you what, I, I'm glad that I started this marriage when I was 32. Was I married when I was 32? I think so. Because I, I had that much more maturity and it just, it, it takes, it takes real adults looking at their own stuff and also to, you know, to use a word that we love to use, holding space for your partner. I I couldn't I couldn't be with my own feelings for a long time, let alone somebody else's. So I had to learn to be with my own difficult feelings so I can also be with his. Yeah. I really love that. What about early on in dating? Like getting attached or projection, being in that like high period. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's so much like online dating and options and it, it's so vulnerable to be dating, yeah. you know, and, and, and intense. And like, I do want a partner, but it's really like for someone, you know, with, you know, our sort of cocktail of neuroses, like it's, you know, it's judgment. It's, it's all of it. And yeah. what advice do you give people with, with that and, and to not get too attached and to not, you know, abandon themselves? Yeah, I think about where I was at when I was still dating. And I can't remember if we talked about this on a previous show or not, but I was a raging love addict. I was a codependent and a love addict. So all love addicts are codependent, but not all codependents are love addicts. And if anyone is identifies as anxious attached, you might want to look into love addiction. My favorite book on the topic is PMLD's Facing Love Addiction. When I read that book in 2007... I was had like a moment of looking over my shoulder of like, is she talking about my life? The love addiction cycle that she maps out in that book was 100% every relationship I'd ever had. And it's just highly dysfunctional. It's highly dysfunctional. And I, how do I explain it? I was using relationships to esteem me. I didn't have any self-esteem of my own. I didn't have any sense of self-worth. And so I was putting that in my partner's hands and saying like, you do this for me. Like however you feel about me, however you treat me is how I am going to see myself. That was my demise. That was the entry point for my eating disorder. It was the entry point, you know, eventually for, for drinking too much. And, you know, it stemmed from abandonment. It stemmed from you know, I know we're not using this term as much, but I'm going to use it anyway. It stemmed from my daddy issues. And so all that to say, if I was dating now, it would be very different. <laughs> but I would also have to be careful of that because I think old habits die hard and and I would I would still feel myself falling into that trap. So my advice would be, <sighs> my advice really is to not settle. And also this, I know that the advice out there is like, don't, don't get involved with someone who just has potential. However, 
my husband, when I met him, we both were in like pretty dark places, different stories, but both wounded. And I think that was one of the reasons we were so attracted to each other. And then I jumped into my own personal development and he was like, where are you going? <laughs> I thought we were like doing this wounded thing. <laughs> and we, we had kind of a come to Jesus moment, like probably five years into our marriage where I was like, I need you to come with me. And if you don't, I see us growing apart and I don't see us married for forever. And I also had to, in a sense, not compromise, but sort of meet him where he was at because I started to have very high expectations of his growth. And that was incredibly unfair. And he had to like take me by the shoulders and say, listen, you do this for a living and I don't. And you are way more gung-ho on this. And I need you to just be patient with me. And so the compromise that we came to and the agreement that we have is that I don't care how fast he goes as long as I'm seeing progress. As long as he's, you know, either coming to therapy with me or having these hard conversations with me or, you know, listening to certain things, just all I need to see is progress. And so I say that and circling back to the potential thing is that if you see that someone has potential, they also have to be willing to do their own work and not just lip service, actually doing it. Does that make sense? I feel like... (laughs) No, it makes so much sense. And I also, I wrote down the Facing Love Addiction book and I'm like, God damn it. Another thing to add to the Sorry that that's going to be now on your list, on your nightstand. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. I love that book. There's so much to it. And it's like, you know, we've talked about this before for sure of like the walk-a-mole of like, okay, you got the the eating stuff and then it goes into work. And then it's like, okay, the work Mm -hmm. is addiction. Okay. And then it's okay. It's over here. It's in the codependency. It's hard to be human. Yeah, man. it's, It's a lot of spinning plates. Thank you. That that was all really helpful, and, and oh, good. I liked that a lot. Well, liked it is 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 maybe a strong word, but it was very helpful and okay. correct. <laughs> <laughs> More work to do, but in a good way. Another question I have for you is: I value my friendships so much, and I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And your friendship with your friend Amy is something that I just really admire and have for many years. Like I said. I'd love to know, you know, your greatest lesson on friendship and just kind of where you are with that right now. Um, probably my greatest lesson is <laughs> maybe it's the juxtaposition of the kind of friend that I used to be. And, you know, if I could kind of sum it up, I've always been the fun friend. I've always been the one who you'll you'll always have a good time if I'm around. I also can be incredibly selfish and make it all about me. And not have a lot of room for like asking you how you are. And and also just like, again, like being with all of the big feelings. And I can also be really, my delivery can be short and curt. I got a little bit of Chelsea Handler in me. Like we're both eights on the Enneagram. Like that's how I can be. And where I am now, and a lot of this is through several of my friendships, not just my friendship with Amy, like one that I had in my late twenties that fell apart. And then we've, we've now come back together and are completely different women and better for it. But it's just, again, I, I, I feel like the theme of this is like slowing down, slowing down to just really be in the friendship and invest in it and truly truly care about that other person. And I know that might sound like obviously, but there was a long time where I didn't trust other people. I didn't trust other women. And when you don't trust people, you won't fully let them in. 
And I wasn't, I wasn't letting people really love me. I wasn't letting people really see me and I wasn't seeing them or truly loving them. I was too afraid. I was too scared to get my heart broken yet again. So it was just easier for me to, to set up these boundaries and it's taken a long time. And I really have learned to truly let people in. And also the way I describe it is I've always wanted to get to a place where I trust someone, not just to hold my heart in their hands, but to hold it in their teeth. Like to Mm. me, that is true trust. And I feel like I can reciprocate that for people. And that is the most sacred thing I've ever experienced. True trust is up there with true love. 100% I believe that. I've actually never said that out loud and I'm getting kind of emotional because I've never been able to put my finger on it. And trust is one of my values. It's trust, courage, and responsibility. And maybe it's because trust has always been a struggle for me because of my family of origin stuff that it feels and tastes so beautiful now. That's how I feel about friendships. Mm, It's so beautiful. I love that. And I think, you know, like everything good, it takes time. And I really invested in friendships in the last year. And I, I am like reaping the benefits of that. Oh, good. And it is so sweet. (laughs) And because sometimes it doesn't work out. Like I didn't know what you were going to say. I'm like, oh no, brace myself. But sometimes it doesn't work out. And that can be so incredibly painful. It can be, it can be just as painful as a romantic partner breakup. Totally. And I think like anything, like trust builds over time, connection builds over time. You can't force friendship. And, you know, I really slowed down and invested in my friendships here. And I am so happy that I did. It was worth it. Oh, good. And other things, you know, I maybe didn't work as much and that's okay. You know, Uh exactly. Yeah. Two more quick things. I love your podcast and your interviewing style and the, and the way that you speak. I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, like what does that medium, this medium mean to you and, you know, any advice that you have about podcasting and interviewing having done it for so long? Yeah. I think some of my best interviews are when I let go of the fact that other people are going to be listening to this and just follow my intuition because my intuition is both selfish and selfless. In other words, like I do ask questions that I'm curious about because they pertain to my own life, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> like, like help therapize me, come on my podcast and therapize me. But also I think that I've been doing this for so long and you probably can relate to this where I almost know what my audience members are thinking like, yep. and what they're, what they would be like, well, wait, what did she just say? I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. And so I try to always think about them as I'm interviewing and just get curious on what I think that they might want to know and try to ask that instead of following any kind of script. Yeah, me too. Well, I love you and I'm so grateful for you and your work and this new book. And I hope everyone buys it. And and the the last question I want to ask you is what is your favorite part about your life right now? What are you most excited by? Oh my gosh. I can only pick one thing. And pick as much as you want. Take your time. I love my Peloton bike that I've had for more than two years now. I love kombucha that I have every single afternoon. It's like my certainty anchor that I know I'm going to have every afternoon. I love... I started to get... This is what I told you before we started recording. I started to get weekly blowouts. I found a woman who... She's not even a licensed cosmetologist. She just knows how to do blowouts and 
doesn't charge a whole lot. She comes to my house. And so I always have like fabulous hair. Wow. Um, I wish she could come to mine. Oh my gosh. Find someone like it, it'd probably be a little bit more expensive in LA than it is in North Carolina, but she's a local mom. Like if you're listening just, and you can do my hair yeah. for me, come on over. Come over. Sleepless it's in just, Seattle hair. It matters so much. And I just feel so much more alive and just ready to, to be on camera and things like that. And I love my kids are 11 and 13 now. And it's been such an interesting shift, sometimes incredibly heartbreaking, but at the same time, we're able to have these more adult conversations and, and also just not know, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I've been, (laughs) I still don't know what I'm doing as a parent. Like literally none of us do. (laughs) Yeah. But I love it. I I love it. And I'm so lucky. And also just, I'll say this one last thing. I lean in as many times as possible. I try to do it at least once a day of how incredibly grateful I am for my life. And I'm like, Andrea, like, are you kidding? Like I look around at the fact that I really, really like my husband because I've been in a marriage where I loved him, but I didn't like him. I didn't respect him very much. Like I like my husband, like him. I love that he's home. I love spending time with him. I love the way his neck smells, like all of these things that are pretty amazing after 13 years. I have these two healthy kids I get to live in this really beautiful house and work from home and wear joggers from Athleta that are so comfortable and and talk to amazing people like you and teach amazing listeners that are listening right now about how to live their best life. And I get to write books. Like, I don't know what I did in a past life to deserve this, but it must have been something amazing because I could not be luckier. I wouldn't change anything. Oh, I love that so much. And I feel the same way. I, I, I guess it's like, I, I've really been having that moment of I was away in Michigan, like I was saying, and I came back to LA yesterday and I had the best day. I was like, dude, I get to live here and have yeah. all these friends. And this is my weird job that I get to talk to someone on the internet that I love in real, like it's, <laughs> it's amazing. And I, it's not lost on me, not all, all of it. And I think, you know, it's cool to hear you at the level that you're at still appreciate it all. And of course want things and desire things, but like it's, it, that's really dope. And thank you for sharing that. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean like 15 years ago, if you would have told me this is where I was going to be, I would have passed out like <laughs> from gratitude because I, yeah. I went through the ringer. Like it was yeah. bad. It was really bad. You know, I had my, like, you know, on the, on the floor fetal position crying to my sister and I didn't know what was going to happen. I was really scared for my life. And I just, I think my spirituality practice just swooped in and said, it's going to suck, but it's going to be okay. And yeah. the universe was right. I'm so glad and I'm so happy for you and I'm so grateful for you. So as you know, the name of this podcast is Let It Out. So is there anything else that you want to let out that that I didn't ask that you really want to share, something that you never get to talk about? I don't think so. I think we we gave everyone like the biggest buffet of topics. <laughs> and you'll be back. They're probably full. They need to go like put on their stretchy pants. And um I'm just so incredibly grateful if for the people who have stuck with with us this long. I hope that I was entertaining enough to to stick around to listen to yes. and I just I'm I I'm so always so appreciative of people's time. So thank you. Yeah. Me too. Well, thank you so much. So we'll end with the letting out the deep breath together. Inhale. Okay. Let it out. Ah, thank you, Andrea. I'm so Thanks, grateful babe. for you. 
Same, same. Thank you for having me. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Make some noise. Get your book. Thank you so much for listening to my episode with Andrea Owen. Follow both of us on Instagram if you are still listening and comment the emoji of the week, which I'll give you at the end on both of our Instagrams. Again, I'm so grateful that you're here, that you're listening, that you're listening all the way to the end. I would love to talk to you on the internet. So feel free to send me a message and join us for in process summer session. It starts this week, goes all through August. And I would love to have you in the fall semester starting in late September, mid-September, I think, actually. Check it out. The link to sign up will be in the show notes. If you have any questions, email me. My email is katie, K-A-T-I-E, at letitoutwith3ts.com. And I will answer any questions that you have. You're wonderful. I'm so happy you're here. Check out Andrea's book and her work. If you resonated with this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you like this podcast and it's, you know, making you feel less alone or inspiring you or you find it interesting or entertaining in any way, please share it on your telephone or with a friend, word of mouth, or, you know, by telegram, fax, (laughs) perhaps. And, you know, you can always leave a review. It all really helps so, so much because I would love to be able to keep doing this. All right. Love you. Thanks for being here. The emoji of the week is the sneaker because there was this really cool photo of Andrea doing a speaking gig and she was wearing Vans and I just love her. And Anyway, she's great. And so comment the sneaker on her Instagram, on my Instagram to let us know you listened all the way to the end. And I will talk to you next week with a new episode. Oh, and if you liked the Q&A episodes, Northwest Cherries for the last three weeks allowed us to do three additional Monday Q&A episodes. So if you liked those, let me know. Let me know somehow on Instagram or somehow get a hold of me. Let me know if you want to hear more of those. If you hated those, let me know. I mean, honestly, if you really hated them, they're already out and I'm not going to take them down. So maybe just uh, keep that information to yourself. But I hope you liked them. And if you didn't like them, just, you know, you don't have to listen. Okay, that's it. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.